0: God bless you tonight, Amen. Brother Goff, we love you. And uh, when I sat down to do the schedule for January preaching schedule, um, I know that we just had Brother Goff and Brother Hilton uh, in the last couple of weeks there. I think in in December, uh, somewhere in there. And I but I said we got Brother Brother uh, Nelson and Brother Albrighton are both struggling with. COVID or the the residue of it and I just didn't know when they'd be well and be out of quarantine and So I said we'll bump them back and give them a couple weeks to get on their feet and get well And we'll get them scheduled again, but but um, I want to hear tonight from brother Goff, And uh, I know God's got his hand on this man and what a blessing he has been and is to me and uh, he and his family such a blessing to this church and I want to hear from God tonight. Amen. Brother Golf. come. I want you to preach to me tonight. God bless you.
1: Praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, I love what I feel in this house. What a great presence of God is in this place. And I don't want to rush through anything. And I so appreciate the opportunity to stand behind this sacred desk. Once again, um, God has given me a privilege to do so, and I respect what this means to him and the words that he has given, and I'm so appreciative of the trust the pastor has in myself and uh, giving me this opportunity to come preach. Amen. I feel a word on my heart. I woke up yesterday morning and God laid um, some very direct things on my mind and on my heart. So, I want God to have His way. I do want to say from the onset, this is not a negative message. This is not a doom and gloom, but God has prepared us and confirmed with the verse of Scripture that was read, to the songs that were sang, to the comments and preaching from Brother Hilton and from Pastor has just confirmed to me that God is just setting everything up the stage for tonight, not for me, but for you. God has got a word for you. He has a word for you. The worship was not to solve all your problems. The word is here to solve your problems tonight. And if you have prepared your heart as the men of God came to this desk and and recommended and admonished you to put those problems out there, if you have your heart in the right place, I believe God can take care of your problems tonight. I believe God is going to help some of his children see how God is truly working for them in this house. And I believe it's time for you to see Satan for what he really is and what he's trying to do in your life. Whether you be listening present here in the church or listening online, I believe God has a word for his church tonight. And I am just honored to be the mouthpiece to be able to come to this sacred desk and deliver it. Amen, amen. Well, I have somewhat of an unconventional passage of Scripture I want to talk about tonight. And if you'll give me just a moment, I feel like God wants to lay a foundation. And then we can go back to where God wants to move in your life. And church family, I need your help tonight. I want to turn, if we may, to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. Matthew 12:22. going to be reading through verse 30. Says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Jesus knew their thoughts. And said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall this kingdom, his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I sh- cast out devils by the Spirit of God then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods? Except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Amen. Can we lay our Bibles down and ask God to move, continue to move into our hearts and our minds in this service tonight? Heavenly Father, unto your children tonight, God. And I ask you, God, to anoint our lips, anoint our ears, and the hearts, God, move upon us tonight, God. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord some glory tonight. We magnify you. We lift you up, Jesus. You are wonderful. hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Just a little bit of background. You find, and through our text, we find the scribes and Pharisees, the ones, if you look back, had been, by their own elect, deemed themselves holy and purveyors of holiness for the Israelites. You can find about it in Matthew chapter 25, we won't read about it, but they were called out by Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 for their hypocrisy. And it was those same people who were following Jesus around to document every instance of a violation. When he went in to heal, what day was it on? Who did he touch? Who did he talk to? Where did he go? All these violations, they were behind him, just not in support, but in judgment. And Jesus responds to their accusation in verse 24 when they accused him of casting out devils in the name of Beelzebub. And Jesus gave them a dose of righteous logic to their crazy accusations. He says, can Satan cast out Satan? If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. It was the power of God in flesh that had the authority to bind devils and command them to leave the stricken man. And based on this passage alone shows that it is right to be on the side of the kingdom of God. It is the right thing to do. It is not error in your life, but it is the right thing to do. We have heard it said time and time again, but it is greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And in direction to try the spirits, we were instructed in John chapter 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 it says try the spirits whether they are of God and we are as Christians have been commissioned to ensure the words we are listening to are of God and not of the spirit of this world and anything that goes against what God has delivered to the saints and contradicts his word is anti-truth anti-church and in the theme of the passage of scripture anti-christ Any who say there is no Christ is directly contradicting the Word of God. It is our guiding principle. We live for Him because He lives. That is the reason we have worship like tonight. It is because He lives. He's resurrected. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the risen one who died for all of our sins. And tonight I would like to preach on the topic and it may not make sense now, but I hope it does by the end. I hope it makes sense in your spirit and it speaks to someone. But I want to preach to you tonight, crushed on the anvil of sin. Crushed on the anvil of sin. We find in Matthew twelve twenty three where the people's response was to associate the miracle with the fulfillment of the prophecy. And when the healing took place, we find their instant response was, is this not the promise, or this not the descendant of David, the Messiah? They said this because of what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, in reference to the coming Messiah. This was one thing that tipped the hand and when Jesus stepped on the scene and began to perform a miracle. We find that Satan uses failure to manipulate you. It is because we serve the risen Christ that we can have victory over anything that can come against us. It is because he is the risen Savior that we can step into every situation, every need, every problem, anything that comes against us. And with his victory, we can apply it in our life and have victory time and time again. But I feel that I need to speak about three things, and I'll focus more so on one as an example. But there are three things that cause people to sin, to fall in failure. Number one, finances. That is the heartbeat of whenever you stop giving, you can see where someone's at spiritually on how they handle their finances how they view the finances of the church and try to scrutinize it scrutinize it, and make it their own and feel like they can make better decisions. And why are they doing that? And you get the spirit upon you that feel like you have ownership as so the man of God that fills the pulpit, the pastor of this church. Finances will wreck your life. Moral failure. Moral failure can wreck your life. Pride of life. And we see many others. But those three I feel that we need to have in the forefront of our mind tonight. The fact that they are closely tied together is not by accident. And I would say that most of the time, it is a combination of them that makes the fall more difficult to avoid. And this is because our loss of balance is typical when one area gets out of balance in our life. However, when more than one area is out of balance, it requires an approach that is greater in intensity, then some would overcome the force of the imbalance. And if one failure in your life is not corrected, then the comparator of truth is not viewed present to correct the course, and you will continue to veer off direction that you are leaning. It is during this time of imbalance and in judgment, the devil will convince you to make the most damaging decisions in your life. The focus of Satan is not the fall and failure of your life, but his focus is your destruction. And the devil's end game is your complete and utter destruction. The moment you give up and you feel like you have everything under control, when it is not under control, you are under his influence. You are listening to his words. The Apostle Paul says, "The sin that so easily besets me." Is that really the end game of the devil? His goal is to crush you on the anvil of sin. And his attempts to get a hand or another extremity damaged will not cease until he can place your entire life there to give him glory and for its destruction. And the moment you give him just that one little crack in the door, pastor, He will leverage in and weasel his foot in, and he will take hold of it. And the next thing you know, he's got a hold of your hand. And he's bringing you and he's sweet-talking you and he's taking you places that you know you shouldn't have went. And he's talking to your mind. He's putting things in your heart. And he's taking you down paths that you wish you'd never went. But he still has a hold of your hand. And before you know it, you'll find his hand creeping up your arm. And now he's got a hold of your elbow and he's got more control. And he's got his arm around your shoulder. And the next thing you know, he's got a hold of your heart. The holding of the hand is where you should cut it off. You should never crack the door. You should never say, well, I don't have to do anything in service, so I'll be okay this time. I'll let this activity slide. But God has called you tonight to put an end to it tonight. Today we heard about the revolution, but tonight is your response. It's the shock that's heard around the world in your life. It's time for you to have a response and make a decision. You can't get up here and just dance and be okay, but you have to find an altar, and you have to make sure there's no devil clutching your hand and your arm and his tentacles reaching into your heart and manipulating you as he will, not as you want. And you think, oh, I'm getting a little oppressed by the devil. devil shake off and get off me. He wants you to just feel like you're okay. He doesn't want you to go back and check the windows and doors. He doesn't want you to go back and check the locks. And he'll entertain you with these sweet conversations and, and lure you back into a conversation and feel like you're hypnotic and you say, everything's okay. He's backed off, but you don't understand. He's trying to pull you down. It's not that little touch he does for you. He's trying to destroy you. We can look at examples throughout the Bible that show where people failed. And because we have the surrounding context of the Word of God, we have these examples. And we're able to see a little more of a complete picture of their destruction. One that I want to spend nearly all of the time is a man called Judas Iscariot. I want to talk about him not in some great revelation, but let's talk about Judas. One example that we have is a clear roadmap in his destruction. We find that Judas, the Scriptures do not give a clear moment of conversion that's recorded for Judas. However, it does show him to be counted among the original twelve disciples from the Scriptures we find in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, And then he called unto him his twelve disciples, He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebeus, Whose, name, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. We know the story. I don't have to delve into everything, but we're going to talk about a little bit of Judas's problem because Judas had a problem with money. Evidence is shown by his action when Mary came to anoint the feet of Jesus with her hair. And what a beautiful act of humility and service compared to the vileness that spewed out of the mouth of Judas and response. It was a veiled words that he spoke, but Jesus knew exactly who Judas was. It reminds me of David's wife, Michael, when she responded, when David come dancing back with the Ark of the Covenant. It reminds me when you read this passage of Scripture, that's the first thing that leapt into my mind of how Judas responded to Mary and her her, her sign of worship and, and being a servant unto Jesus Christ. It's the same as when Michael was, had disdain for him and could care less about what he was doing. It called him out and just with vile and vitriol and just the words were thick. And you can read them and imagine what she's saying. We find that in John chapter 12 and verse 3. It takes us to the story of Mary. And it says in verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, now you can go read another passage of Scripture. It doesn't call Judas out, but John does. John calls him out and says, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? That was Judas's response. We find that Mary came in and gave many months of a good salary and just one offering of oil. Walked in and laid down a small fortune and laid down before him and began to wash the feet of Jesus. What an act of humility. And Judas, standing there with his arms crossed, jingling the purse on his hip, judges her and says, we could have given that, sold that, and given to the poor. The provision for Jesus and the apostles was derived from followers. They would know who Jesus was or have affection towards them and give unto the ministry of Jesus. And Judas was more interested in pilfering from the sale of the ointment than he was in seeing an act of service and devotion to Jesus Christ. You can read in John chapter 6, you understand what Jesus thought of one of them. He says in John chapter 6 and verse 70, he says, Jesus Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? and he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he it, it, for he it was that should betray him being one of the twelve. So we understand this was not added after the fact like John began to write in scripture as he's retelling this story, saying how, Judas Iscariot, the one who should betray him, he's added in Scripture as God begins to give him the anointing and the inspiration to pen these words. We find where John added those words to give us clarity on who Judas was. But we see in John chapter 6 where they knew exactly who he was. Jesus knew that one of them was a devil. In John chapter 12, going back to where we pick up from Mary, in verse 6 it says, This he this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Then Jesus said, Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. We find that Judas, who had, be, who had the same message that Jesus Christ had ministered to him, In Matthew chapter 10, when the 12 apostles were instructed to go out and minister, it says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8, it says, Jesus speaking, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, nor neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. What Jesus is telling them is that he and he alone would provide what they should not get caught up in, in relying on the earthly possessions to fulfill their heavenly commission. And what I'm saying here tonight is that we should not live all as paupers. We are not to go down a road and sell everything and live in a shack and stand on the corner and beg so we can have gas money to come to church. That's not what I'm saying, but Jesus made it very clear that Jesus is the one who can take care of everything. I can supply all your need. We spend so much time that is fruitless, frivolous, and unwise trying to figure out our own problems when God has them all in the palm of his hand. The influence that motivated Judas was not his own because he was being motivated by his desires And the devil picked up on that love of money. It was the carrot the devil used to manipulate Judas. See, the devil was not really too worried about. It was one part of his plan. But the end game was not for Judas to continue to take from the treasury of the ministry of Jesus. That was not the devil's end game. The end game was for him to uh, betray Jesus Christ. The ultimate goal was for him to have Judas destroyed and without a Savior in his life. We look at our own lives. We look back and we see the things that we struggle with, the things that some of us may have walked in to the service tonight struggling with. And You see that we have an issue because the devil has convinced you that you can't get rid of it. The devil has convinced you that you are in this constant state of imbalance. You can try to ride a unicycle, and it's difficult. You get on a bicycle, and it's a little easier. But when you get on something that has four wheels, and you have everything balanced and aligned, driving is not difficult. The devil, in his wisdom and how sly that he is, He's convinced you to take off tires and wheels. Let them run with no balance. Let the alignment go off because... Just when the preacher gets up and preaches something right down your alley, you hit it, and it knocks you out of balance. Because you don't receive it, you fight against it. It knocks you out of balance. And you think you're going all right, but the whole time you're fighting the wheel just to move forward. It's a fight. It's weary. It weighs you down. And God wants to fix your problems tonight. You see Him benefiting from giving of the followers, Judas did. And what he was most known for is the betrayal. But the betrayal was a path that I doubt he intentionally set out upon. However, he followed the leading of what was his loss of balance. And the devil knows that if he can keep you from reconciling back to truth, then you will eventually believe what you are seeing. And if you've ever driven down the road and you see someone driving and you pull up behind them, and you'll see that they have a bent frame. Brother Self, you pull up and you're like, they've been in an accident. They've had something happen. But yet, they're sitting there driving and they feel like they have everything under control. But little do they know that if you were to step back and observe what is going on, they are dog-legging down the road. And they feel like they're making progress. But it's wearing out mechanical components. It's wearing out their tires. All they have to do is step out when it stops and look at the tires they'll be worn uneven the man of God is here to tell you tonight you need to stop and evaluate where you're at tonight and take a closer look at what you're happy with you feel like you're moving but you're fighting against it the whole time. You feel like you're making progress. Oh, preacher, I feel like I'm saved. But really, are you? Are you satisfied to jingle the purse and skim off the top and still have the company of Jesus Christ and be called one of his and have him call your name and admonish you to go? You still have a problem. Judas was a necessary means to an end. We all know that. Calvary was necessary for Jesus Christ to fulfill the prophecy of Scripture. And Judas had power over unclean spirits and to heal. However, he struggled with the sin that so easily beset him. Jesus Christ told him with the rest of the apostles that you can go out and do things in my name. You can heal the sick. You can preach in my name. You have power over unclean spirits. And Judas still ends up in the position of betraying Jesus. We find that in Matthew chapter 10, in verse 1, when he had called out unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, what we have before us is an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But what the most common thing for us is we walk into a red-hot service like tonight and we feel like we're okay. The men of God got up and said, put what's troubling you. Name it. Not name it and claim it and, 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 and do all this charismatic, but in the name of Jesus, let there be power over your situation. Now, you feel like just because you worked up a little bit of a sweat And just because you may have raised your hand in the air, God is trying to move this church forward. This is not about tonight, and it's about the long-term game of the church. It's about next service, and next service, Get you right so you can be in the position so God can use you. Instead, you're hung up in the body shop. You're hung up saying, I don't know what's wrong. It's not driving right. But I got a little bit of knowledge in my head about how to fix cars. And I know that it should be doing this and the steering wheel wobbles. I can manage it. I have strong arms and I can force it down the road. But God wants to give you a strength. That far exceeds what the devil's putting pressure on you. And the only way you're gonna get victory is when the strength and the resistance that you provide and that you call upon far exceeds what the devil is trying to do in your life. Until then, you're fighting in something that you will not win. Reading the story in Matthew 26, you'll find that Judas followed that conversation. With the request to the high priest to be paid to offer up Jesus Christ to the chief priest. He had just been called out and Jesus let him know, back off Judas. This is a faithful saint of God. Back off. Quit running your mouth. We find the very next thing, but Judas does. go strolling into the chief priest. What will it cost for me to offer up Jesus Christ? It's a dangerous road. I doubt that when Judas, in his heart, says, I will follow you, Jesus, did he have intent in his heart that he would then in turn say, and I plan to betray you to Calvary. But he ended up there when the devil just grabbed his hand and said, why don't you just drop your hand in that purse of coinage? That's a lot of money. Jesus has trusted you with a lot. You have a lot within your possession, and we find that begin to wear on him. And the next thing you know, uh, we find that Satan had control over him and walked him in and began to have control of his heart and stood him before the high priest, the chief priest, I'm sorry, and for them to bargain and make a deal. The motivation was no longer possessing money. But it was the act of betrayal. You'll find that the devil will sell you a bill of goods. He'll walk up and say, doesn't this look nice? This right here is beautiful. This is great. I can do this for you. But on the flip side is utter destruction. And God is wanting to take this church and do something special. He's wanting to take us to that very next level and this is god's attempt to get everybody on board there are some of us some of the church family that pray and read the bible and back the man of god and get into it and throw everything in they have into a service but we can't settle For 50%, 60%. Because we cannot lose another soul to this world. We can't let another soul walk out the doors of this church and say it's not for me. The word of God, the man of God has come to declare, get rid of the sin that's occurring in your life and let God rescue you from something that's trying to destroy you. One of the most disturbing aspects of Judas was that in order for the betrayal to be successful, it had to happen in private to avoid an uproar among the people. That means that Judas, the one who had committed in his heart to betray Jesus, had to stay in close company with Jesus with betrayal in his heart. He had to sit with his brothers He had to sit with the men that had prayed and ministered and seen healings. They had left cities rejoicing, saying, What a miracle we've seen! And began to testify of the great things that God had done and ministered through them. How changes had been wrought and the Word had been delivered and spirits had been cast out and healings that took place. And they no doubt had their arms around each other rejoicing, saying... What a Savior we serve. Isn't he good? And Judas had to sit at the very same company and find out their plans. It says that Judas sought this within his heart continually to find out when he could betray Jesus. Some people make it their mission to destroy the church. It is not only people who backslide and let their hate and bitterness fill their heart. There are people that will take their church attendance to another congregation, and then when given the chance, try to destroy this church. Because the pastor may say, oh, where did you used to go? And they unload a barrage of just vile talk about, well, they do this, and they do that, and they don't do this, and they don't do that, and this is what happens, and I'm sick of it, and I want to come to your church and be a perfect saint of God. They take those opportunities when anybody can just walk up and say, didn't you used to go to Pastor Riggins Church in Olathe? I used to. You're right. I used to. But I've decided that's just not for me. And they begin, as I said, to open up. But they are just like Judas, sitting at the table, waiting for the opportunity to betray. And how miserable they must be to go sit at an apostolic church and feel like they're saved but they sit there having the devil crush them on the anvil because they put something in their heart that they couldn't get over in this church and they're not going to be able to get over until they walk up to the pastor and say i was wrong the words i said were wrong i've tried to destroy the man of god i was wrong i repent of this i'm going to go back and make it right Said they want to go in and listen to online services here to pick it apart. Tell everybody what's going on, what they're not a part of. And what's consumed them is pride, jealousy, because they think they know better. And they're going to suffer when I leave. And I have such an impact in that church when I walk out the door, they'll shut the doors behind me. And they believe that lie. And they let the devil just lead them right on out. Next thing you know, they get in the car. He's patting them on the back saying, you made the right call. You made the right call. You made the right decision. But there are people tonight in this house that are not going to listen to what the devil's saying. They're not going to open their heart and give a word that's going to try to enter in. Because God has not called anyone else to bear that same burden that Judas bore. Judas carried the burden of deception. And God does not need anyone else to carry that very same burden. As a matter of fact, He clearly states it in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is hope. There is only one Judas, but God has given everybody under the sound of my voice an opportunity for repentance. You don't have to buy and sell out just like Judas. There is a place, a path to forgiveness and salvation. The Bible describes sin as pleasure for a season. And with every act, every moment of pleasure, every chance the devil can get to distract you from making your heart right, the closer the devil can get you to the anvil of sin to crush you and hold you there until the day of judgment. That is his goal. Saints of God, he's ready to take us to where we no longer have to stand around and feel the heat from the furnace as the devil's sitting there poking the fire, getting it hotter and hotter, and they're making us sweat, and he's saying, doesn't this feel good? You can feel the warmth of the fire, and you're standing there resting your hand upon the anvil because he hasn't done anything to you yet, and you think you're okay. And the moment he pulls it out, and slams it down on you and tries to destroy you and cripple you and make it to where you feel like, I can never go back to an altar and find repentance. He grabs you by the other hand and slams his anvil and reaches down and pushes down the hammer upon your flesh, and it marks you and mars you. And you feel like, I can never go back to church. I can never do anything in the house of God. the devil's got you standing around, sweet-talking you, saying, Here, put this cold cloth on there. It'll be okay. And he's marring you every strike that he can get, trying to pull you out. And it's not just those individual strikes, but the ultimate goal is your destruction. God has such an encouraging word. We don't have to bow to his tactics. And I can tell you this, until you have heard God judge you, there is still time to turn around. Now you can say, Brother Golf, this is a Sunday night. But I believe God is trying to change your appetite a little bit, saints of God. We have heard in my 41 years of being around and in an apostolic church, some of the best, premier, deepest, and richest messages I've ever heard pastor preached this last year been around this church for a long time but they have struck deep in my heart god is pulling us to a place he's trying to prepare us in getting us back to where we can feel his presence he's trying to clean the house and restore hearts but we cannot get addicted and we've been well fed and we are fat on the lamb of god that was fed to us this last year But the word of God that God's trying to reach for is sinners, backsliders. We have to get used to hearing these messages across this pulpit and not be so selfish and say, but it's not this, it's not that. God is reaching for a lost and dying world. There are scriptures, and you can read it, and I can't remember the context, but I'll give it as an application. There are scriptures that talk about the children of Israel and and them going to the house of God. And it talks about, if I remember, Pastor, it talks about people of many different languages reaching out and grabbing them, saying, you know who Jehovah is, and we want you to take us to the house of God with you. Who's to say that God can't do that again? We can't get addicted to the candy and the the sweet potato pie and the turkey and the dressing. Sometimes it has to be broken down for the babies in the congregation. Those that are listening online, God is pulling hearts to this house. He's trying to create revival. We can't push away the plate and say, it's too basic. I can't eat off the children's menu this service. I need debt, Brother Goth. You need to stop dancing around the sins of people. I'm here to tell you God is reaching for souls in this city, in this house tonight. And everybody has hope. There is only a few people that cannot find God. And that's just you blaspheme God. you find it in Matthew 12. I won't read it for the sake of time. We find in the context of that scripture, but those that blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. But it talks about those that speak against the word of God and the Holy Ghost. There shall be no forgiveness. Neither in this world or neither in the world to come. In that very same passage, we find that Jesus had just healed a man that was possessed with a devil. Jesus, looking upon him, heals the man. He can now speak, and he can now see with the absence of the devil present in his body. Now, there is an application of this passage of Scripture and what we wrestle with today is making him, Jesus Christ, Lord of all. And the devil has an inroad of influence in your life, and it will influence your vision. It will alter how you seek God and the church. And if without fail, it is the devil's way of getting you closer to that anvil by which he stands stoking the furnace of life. He will use this opportunity to try to pull you his way. But there's a counter to every maneuver, every tactic, everything that he could ever say if you do something the way the Bible tells us and gives us an example of another man who fell into moral failure and yet God gave him hope. We talk about David. Now Judas, his end, showed him hanging himself, spilling his bowels upon the field. And the money he so gripped in his hand so tightly and jingled and ran his fingers through and held in his control, he didn't even die with it. He left it laying on the floor with the priest's. Everything that he had sacrificed, he walked away from it and hung himself. And the devil was happy. He rejoiced. And in our text, we talk about where those that seen the miracle that was performed of the devil leaving the man said, this is the son of David. In our closing example, we're going to talk about how David made way for Jesus Christ through that lineage. The pastor does an amazing study on it. And David responded with an open heart, with such fervency that God forgave him and restored him. And it was in all of David's response to his situation, this was after he had sinned with Bathsheba. This is after he had murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And the death of his son, David was not perfect. However, he did have a heart after God. We find that said in Scripture. He had a love for the Word of God. It wasn't just attendance to the house of God, but it was something that consumed him and a love for the Word of God. He had heartfelt obedience to God. And David refused to touch the anointed King Saul, even knowing the king was backslidden. And he had a humble and repentant heart, a desire to worship God, What I find so beautiful in Scripture is is we find that David was able to say something that some theologians say he was the first man in Scripture. It may have been. But he said something very powerful. In Psalms chapter 18 and verse 1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. David tapped into something. That people, they seen the awesome power of God. they seen waves stand on end. Earthquakes of earth opening up and swallowing up the opposing enemy. People that didn't serve God. But David tapped into something called loving God. Loving God. He did not do everything perfect in exactly how God would desire him to. But David, his desire was a love for God. And that is evident in how he called up to God. It was a mature response, one that came from the depth of his heart. And there are many things that you can get by in living life. But living for God is not one of them. You have to love God. You have to love God more than getting up in the morning and going to work. You have to love God more than getting that paycheck and opening up your bank account and seeing what's in your account balance. You have to love God more than the person that lays next to you at bed and you say, I love you, and they say, I love you back. You have to love God more than the children you hold in your arms. You have to love God more than coming to the house of God because there may be times when you can't darken the door to worship with God's wonderful people and he's going to call upon you and say now you're going to walk away from me. You have to love God with all of your heart. It has to consume you. So when you repent, you say those words with love and it breaks your heart that you sinned. Not that you got caught, but that you broke the heart of God. Pursuing after God is going to cost you. It will cost you your goals that you have set in life. It may cost you a specific career path that you think you have to live in order for you to accomplish anything in life. Now before you say the church needs people with good paying jobs so God has something he can bless and keep the lights on, the heat and the air conditioning and take care of the man of God. I have never seen anyone who gave God all of their life that God did not richly bless beyond their wildest imaginations. I learned as a young man, I've mentioned it before, but I had a notebook with everything I wanted in life. I learned the best thing I could do with those goals, close that book and never open it, and give my life to God. I learned that sitting across from professional mentors that would help you with your career path did not mean anything. When I could sit across from my pastor and have him share the word of God with me. That changed my life. That set me on a trajectory for success in the kingdom of God. Who cares what you have on your business card? The devil sure could care less. But God wants to touch you and change your life. But until you love him, then you will never really serve him. You will just be counted among the number. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Until you love Him. When the kingdom, when the church does what the church does need is submission to His will. So kingdom work can be accomplished. I said this last time and I'll say it again. You will never find the will of God until you're submitted to His will. That means accepting His path and not your own. Until that is achieved, you will continue to walk in the words, I think. Until you know without a doubt in your mind that when you get up in the morning, I am walking in the perfect will of God. You are under the guise, and the only conversation that you can refute against the devil is, I think I'm going the right way. But until you can say, devil, get thee behind me. I love a Savior, and he loves me. And I know without a shadow of doubt, I am under the will of a Savior that sacrificed himself as a ransom for many, and I am one among the called. I am under that name of Jesus Christ. When we walk after God with the mindset and the freedom of thought that God has everything that I'm going through in the palm of his hand, then we are in the will of God. We can then quote with the same words as David after he had seen, been seeking God, after his sin of moral failure and adultery, and I'm sorry, and murder. We find in Psalms chapter 51, what a beautiful passage of Scripture. But until you can find yourself at an altar and able to pray with this kind of response. You're just going through lip service. You're just going to get down there, you're going to soak an altar, and you're going to come up with wet, nasty, snotty napkins and handkerchiefs, and you're going to keep repeating it, and you're stuck in a cycle. But until you can give God everything in your life, that is the only change. And what you will find is, And so the devil dragging you to an anvil to crush you, you are dragging the devil to an altar to crush him. It's the inverse of his plan. All it takes is calling upon the name of Jesus as the songs we sing. It's fighting with victory. It's picking up the tools that's before us. And you can sit there and play patty cake and only sit on a church pew because you think you're made to. But God has called you to a life of freedom. And in Psalms chapter 51, in verse 1, it says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy lovingkindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me. He says, wash me. It's not something he's willing to play games with, but he's telling them, I want to be restored. I want my life to be changed. Wash me from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. This is not a patty cake. I'm tired of living the way I am. It's coming with a heart that you leave it on the altar, not expecting to pick it up again. It's letting God take it and do what he wants with it. Cleanse me from my sins, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And that applies to every one of us. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide my face from my sins and blot out mine iniquity. And I love this part, create within me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Until you get this message, this word, this prayer, you are not effective in the kingdom of God. You are dead weight. You need to change your heart and your mind and your approach and then teach others about how God can change your life. You may say, I don't feel effective. I don't feel used. I don't feel like I do anything. I just come in and worship God until you can pray this prayer. You're exactly right. You're exactly right until you can convince yourself, saying, flesh, you have no right And interrupting me in any service. But I'm going to have God create in me a clean heart every service. Renew that right spirit every service. Cast me not away from that presence every service. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And the seed from the lineage of David was fulfilled with that very prayer. It was because a man who failed through pride... Failed through moral failure. Every other thing that went wrong, and the devil thought he was destroying David, just as pastor thought when he preached, when he's saying about how the devil tried to interrupt every way for the lineage, tried to get every woman bearing. There was a man of God that says, No, you're not going to do this to me. I feel like I've lost everything. I've lived on the run. I have sinned and failed you. But we must press on. We have not attained. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence, oh, not of just your church family talking after service, not of the text message from your church family encouraging you, not of just walking in and feeling a song service like we felt, But the presence of Almighty God, though refreshing. And if you're not refreshed tonight, God has something for you. Saints, we have not attained. But we must press on towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That thorn in the flesh that's continually pressing. To pull you out of church need not be the handle that Satan uses to pull you closer to his plan. However, let God turn the tables and crush Satan upon the altar of prayer and consecration. If you don't feel like you're in the will of God, I'm preaching to you tonight. If you feel like you're not effective, I'm preaching to you tonight. If you feel like you're only doing a job, I'm preaching to you tonight. You need to crush the devil on the altar of consecration and prayer. Musicians would come. It is to Him that we prayed those prayers of promise. The prayers that were a commitment to do anything. To go anywhere. Just to be a follower of Him. Prayers that preceded you being filled with the Holy Ghost. Until you had given God everything. He's never going to fill you with His Spirit because we have to give Him all for Him to be able to fill us with the gift of the Holy Ghost. There were prayers you prayed and God said it and you said, God, if you will fix this, I'll serve you. If you'll change this, I'll serve you. If you'll do this in my life, I'll live for you. I'll come to church every time the church doors are open. I pray these prayers are awakened in the heart of each and every one of you tonight. God is calling his children to a place of refreshing in his will as we stand tonight. And I do not possess silver or gold. Much like the apostles in Acts chapter 3, I only have Jesus to offer tonight. He is the answer to all that is wrong in your life. The Bible tells us to cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. You may say, Brother Goff, everybody here is pursuing after God. They're faithful to the house of God, but God is reaching for somebody. I'm just being His mouthpiece. You may say, Brother Goff, I don't feel anything. Maybe you should. The devil may be pulling on you with all the strength that he has. And I want you to remember this to the day you die. Satan can only pull on you as strong as God will allow. He can only test you to the limits that God knows you can withstand. And you stand here today saying, oh, Brother Goff, I don't feel conviction I'll give you that I hope you do but do you feel joy do you feel peace are you still sinning and every time you walk in the doors having to repent or do you have it under control just as brother Hilton said young man do you have your world lust under control do you have those things that's vying on you every time you walk out the door every time the devil's planning something before your eye do you have it under control God has to have it in His hand for Him to help you. You can beat the devil at his own game. You can respond to the call to the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. You may think you've got it under control, but if you open your eyes, and just as the man who stood in the presence of Jesus, he couldn't speak, he couldn't see, Until Jesus removed the influence that was trying to destroy him. And then he and all others said, the Messiah. You may say, I go to church, Brother Goff, and yes, you do. I may be listening online faithfully, and yes, you do. But until you are surrendered to him, and until you stand before an altar instead of an anvil, until you stand there and say, I'm right in the sweet spot, I'm right where God has called me to be. You need to find a place to pray. You need to find power in the name of Jesus. You need to find a way so you can ring that shot so the devil knows he's serious. She's serious. They mean it this time. They're tired of walking out and sinning from a red-hot service. They're tired of going out and failing God and losing faith and say, I'll just make my heart right the next time I go to the house of God. No, God wants to offer you this service, this night, this altar, for you to pray as David prayed. Create within me a clean heart. Oh, God, can we lift our hands and talk to him tonight, saints of God? Can we lift our hands and talk to him? God is trying to prepare somebody to be among the elect. The called out ones prepare their heart. They could put on a show. I don't have your number, I don't know who you are, and I could care less. But God has woke this man of God and given you a word saying, Just pray. Just go to an altar. Can we all find a place to pray tonight? Can we help our brothers and sisters find a place to where they can be filled with God's presence? so they can feel His anointing rest upon them, so they can be used upon God, letting His Spirit rest in their heart, being changed by the hand of God, once again being restored. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. God, I cry out to you. I don't need the man of God to come tell me what to say i know what's wrong in my heart i know what's wrong in my mind i know the words i've been saying reach down and touch me cleanse me of mine iniquity i want to be a called one of the faithful saints of god tonight oh sinner god's calling for you find a place in your living room find a place in your bedroom find a place of repentance God wants to walk you in these doors and you open your heart and say baptize me in Jesus name fill me with the gift of the Holy Ghost I repent I want to be changed God is calling for those that need him more than anything in life Your life is a wreck. You don't know what to do tomorrow. You don't know what's gonna happen when you open your eyes. With the next breath that you take, God wants to fill it with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Touch and change lives tonight, God. No matter where they're at, no matter what they're kneeling before, God, I ask you to reach down. Give them strength, God. Give them the words to say. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. From the bottom
2: of my heart to
1: the of my soul. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Completely,
2: oh, the bottom of my heart to the depths
1: of my soul yes Lord oh, Master. completely be like young. David and write every psalm you can think of pray Lord, unto God offering up all of your heart with no reserve God Lord, change me I don't want to be like Judas I, I don't want to be satisfied with the jingle the lust in my heart, the pride in my life, change me God, I'm not satisfied. Church, God is doing something in hearts he's making a difference he's responding he's reaching he's forgiving he's restoring he's changing minds he's setting on a new direction he's changing the directory. he's giving balance he's restoring the lives tonight as we speak as we pray tonight saints let's talk to him for the sake of our sisters for the sake of our brothers let's reach out to him Change me I love you. Oh, I love you. let's talk to him saints from the bottom of my heart to the of my soul I love you. Let him hear your heart's cry. It's not about mumbling. You talk to the devil that way. You try to convince him you're okay that way. But you need to open your heart and your mouth and cry out to the Savior. You need to let him know you mean business this time. You need to let him know you're serious. You're repentant. You want to be changed. You're tired of who you are. Change me, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let the prayers mean something. Let them be recalled in the depths of your heart. Change me, God. I don't care who hears me all I want is Jesus Jesus the name of Jesus Jesus in your name God in your power in your might in your forgiveness in the name of Jesus
2: to the depths of my soul yes Lord complete
1: my prayers being about repentance. I want to be full of gratitude. I'm tired of always, every time I come to the house of God, having to repent, having to cry salty tears. I want to walk in victory, in newness of life. I want to walk in your perfect will, God. I'm tired of the lust in my life. I'm tired of the sin of the flesh. I'm tired of the perversion that's leading me, guiding me. God, I want to change, change me, change me, God, change me. Hallelujah, restore me. God, I want what I used to have. I want what you want from me, God. I want to open my heart to you, God. Oh, full control, full control, God. It's all in your hands not of my own I'm miserable I'm sick of it I'm tired of it God let the power give me the strength through your name to be able to withstand against the fiery darts of this world I'm sick I'm tired of listening to their words their lies are destroying me help me Savior I'm in need of a Savior change me I want to be a part of the revolution, not a part of the judgment. I want to be there stand up and say, I'm faithful. I give you my all, God. Restore me, change me. I desire truth in my life. Make me what you want me to be, God. I'm sick and tired of the man, of the woman. Make me what you want me to be, God. I'm serious this time. I'm tired of playing games. Hallelujah, hallelujah Completely
2: you. Yes. My soul says yes I love you I love you
1: Faithful saints, you see somebody praying, pray with them This is a battle. This is a fight. This is something we need to step in and wage war in. This is something we need to get shoulder to shoulder in. Dig them out. Pull them away from the anvil. Tell them to stop listening to the voice. Claim the name of Jesus. Bleed the blood over them. Reach down and pull them out of the pit of sin. Reach down and encourage. Pray for them under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Let Jesus be called over them. Let his name be claimed in Jesus' name. Touch them tonight. Set them free, God. They're sick and tired. They want to be used. Touch them tonight, Master. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Find someone to pray with. Find someone to lock arms with. Find someone to encourage. Find someone to help pray through. Find someone to lift up out of the pit of sin. This could be their eternity moment I don't want to be happy with losing another soul I really do. I come against that spirit of complacency to let people walk out of this church. I come against that spirit of just being okay with letting people walk away and not fight with them. God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to reach down and give victory. God, I want my brother, my sister to be saved. This is a spiritual battle. This is not in the flesh, but we war, we war in the name of Jesus. We hold up the anthem, the banner, the standing of truth. There is power in the name of Jesus In the name of Jesus oh. night this is your heel to die on this is your heel to die on let him know you mean it with all of your heart change me change me it's nothing god i want forgiveness i want nothing of this world i'm not willing to listen to any more lies i want nothing the devil wants to sell me i want to be sold out to jesus christ Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's your blood, your forgiveness. Tonight do it. Restore, change, make new. Fresh again, God. It's your word. Let there be, let there be true repentance from the depths of my heart. Change me, O oh God. Oh, tonight, God make a difference in my life God I'm tired I'm tired of the thorn where the devil's trying to pull me out but God I want to trust in you I want to believe in you touching those nails scarred hands oh let your blood wash over me your forgiveness it's not enough just to cry it's not enough just to pray prayers, but I must be changed. Change me, change me, God. From the my heart,
2: to the depths of my heart.
1: There is power in the name of Jesus. All power, all power in the name of Jesus. Come on, young people. You're tearing down strongholds. You're binding the strong man in your life. It's in the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus. There is redemption come to your house. There is forgiveness that's come to your house. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes. From the bottom of my heart. Hallelujah, to hallelujah, time, hallelujah. From the bottom of my heart.